Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. You know, last week we talked about the fact that Henry Ford says, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. Boy, do I keep seeing that borne out. I mean, I am talking to people who are absolutely thriving, prospering, having an absolute ball, making lots of money. And I talk to people who know the economy's bad and nothing could be done in this particular time. It just bears that out more and more. We better believe success is possible or it's not going to show up unexpectedly. So we're going to be talking about how to do that, how to set the stage for your success by what happens in between your own two ears. That's pretty typical, the kind of thing we cover here. This is Dan Meller, where each week we take 48 minutes and talk about real life questions from you, the listeners, pick some of those out, unpack them together where we can all grow to higher levels of success. Trust me. Just hearing your questions, researching things, talking to you all helps me dramatically. I mean, I have no way to assess the value that I've gotten from being able to help people wade through these questions because of the things that it does for my own business. So I enjoy the process. Look forward to it every week. Here's the theme for this week's podcast. If you don't invest, you'll get no return. Now, the quotation I'm going to share with you in a minute kind of unpacks that. But here's some of the questions we're going to be dealing with. Dan, I've got a job doing what I love, and now I don't make any money. <laughs> How do you deal with that when you're doing what you love and you're broke? Well, well, we'll look at that. Someone says, after spending nine years in the Marines, I need a career reboot. That can kind of cloud your options. That can give you an unrealistic look at what the real world is like. I'm well aware of that. Dan, can I market my CPR classes by going door to door? Should I register my trademark before I open for business? Here's one. My girlfriend thinks you need a college degree for any success and thinks my recent success is just a fluke. <laughs> and then somebody says the vast majority of potential clients want me to coach them for free and offer free medical advice. Those are some of the things we'll be looking at today. Our quotation comes from Brian Tracy, who said this, invest 3% of your income in yourself, self-development in order to guarantee your future. Now, I'm not so sure about what that figure is low, but would I love to see people do that? When I hear people say, well, gee, I'd love to read the book that you suggest, Decisive by Chip and Dan Heath, or Entree Leadership by Dave Ramsey, but I can't afford $20. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Really? You can't afford 20 bucks. Now, didn't I see you swing by Starbucks this morning and blow eight bucks? Didn't I see you stop by the vending machine this afternoon and put in another $3? I mean, when you look at the things that we do that we consider to be just part of our daily lives, if you really need to carve out 20 bucks, it's just a matter of priorities. It's a matter of making that important. But here's a good formula. Brian Tracy, invest 3% of your income. So if you're making, well, $4,000 $4, a month, that means you ought to be investing $120 in your personal development. That'll buy 
quite a few great books. That'll buy five or six great books. That'll get you into a lot of seminars or workshops or an online teleseminar class that you want to participate in. But you ought to have that as a budget item in your budget where you are investing in your personal development. If you're not investing, guess what? If you're not putting any money into a mutual fund account or into a savings account, you know what's there at the end of the year, nothing. If you're not investing anything in your personal development, what are the chances you're going to be a different person at the end of the year? Not very high. So please be doing that. But when I look at the, I mean, I, this is an ongoing process for me. This is not something I just did while I was building my business. This is something I do in a heartbeat. Yesterday I was on the phone talking to Dr. Chris McCloskey, who's a colleague of mine. We're going to do a teleseminar together tomorrow. And in that conversation, he mentioned a book that he had just read. Well, within 30 seconds, while we continued to talk, I pulled it up on Amazon, ordered it, and it, it showed up today. I mean, that's just how quickly I make a decision. If there's a book that I think is going to add anything to my own success, boom, instantly it's going to be here. And I do the same thing with workshops, seminars, and I've done that from day one. That's not something that's been recent. It's not something that I have discontinued now that things are working pretty well. That's something I do ongoing. Well, we always start off with a couple of success stories. Got a few. They all they pour in. Got just a couple here I want to share with you quickly. Ryan from Carroll Stream, Illinois says, my wife and I, this is really cool. And I love when people just take simple action. Ryan says, my wife and I were recently traveling through Franklin, Tennessee on the way to Bonnaroo. Now, Bonnaroo is the you know, modern day Woodstock that takes place just south of us here. Really just a stone's throw south of where I am in Franklin, Tennessee, already being 20 miles south of Nashville. But he said they were going to Bonnaroo. We decided to take your tip from po- past podcast and volunteered at the festival. The benefits of volunteering were admission to the show, food and showers were all free. We saved over $600 and saw some great acts like Paul McCartney and Tom Petty. I mean, how cool is that? Ryan and Jody from Illinois. Congratulations. That's a great example of just asking for something that's right under your nose, being creative about it, boom, get the benefits. And now that comes back to what I was just saying a little bit ago about investing in yourself. If you don't have money to go to seminars and workshops, figure out a creative way to get in there. Trish. Now this comes from Sydney, Australia. A couple weeks ago, I read Trish's question and gave her some resources. Her question then, just as a recap, was, Dan, I've been listening to your show for a few weeks now and wish that I had found your site before I hit rock bottom. I've been off work for two and a half years due to depression caused by excess work and stress. I'd like to know how I can reassess my future. How can I reenter the job market with this background of depression? I feel that I'm unemployable now. I don't know what or how to rebuild my life from this point. Now, we discussed some things that she could do, how to help her get that reboot, that start that she needed. But here's the really cool thing. Somebody else emailed me, Patricia. No, no, this was, let's see, Sarah. It was Sarah who, or Sally. Sally emailed me, who is a coach in Australia. She's one of the Tony Robbins coaches. 
she sent a note to me and said, I heard Trish ask her question. I am in Australia. I would love to connect with her and just work with her pro bono and help her get out of this rut. I mean, what a cool thing is that to have two listeners connect in that way. So I just got a note. Five days later, I get a note from Trish. Dan, I wanted to give you a quick update. I got in touch with Sally. We spoke for over an hour. What a wonderful, kind, and knowledgeable person. She shared so much information with me. In particular, she's helped me notice my negativity, which she calls my gremlins. And she pointed out that my focus has been on the things that I don't want. I'm a long way from getting out of this hole, but for the first time in a long time, I can see a future. I can see possibilities. Thank you for your assistance and keep up your wonderful work that you do in your weekly podcast. What a heartwarming note that is to recognize another listener heard that offered to help got connected because she's in the same country boom and now the lady has hope that she didn't have before wonderful thank you both trish and sally for your participation trish for your vulnerability sally for your willingness to jump in there and help what a great continued chapter not an ending but a continued chapter to that story Well, Sean from Garland, Texas says, I was supposed to be a high school math economics teacher out of college, but decided to chase the dollars instead and chose to go into the financial field. During my years as an investment advisor, I found I enjoyed volunteering as a debt counselor, helping people get out of debt and learning how to save and manage their money. I was able now to make the switch and get hired as a credit debt counselor with a local nonprofit agency with a pay cut. Now, with all the expected funding not coming in and stricter paper trail, this position is no longer about helping the client, but making sure I focus on signing up new clients in our program and doing paperwork to get more funding. I'm thinking of going back to teaching high school business and building my own debt counseling practice during the summers. Your thoughts or advice? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Sean, this happens a lot. When you force your volunteering to become your only source of income, There's nothing wrong with having a core career that provides income while doing something you're passionate about in your discretionary time. Now, you don't hear me saying that in every situation you should turn your passion into your only income generator. A meaningful life will include multiple things that provide a sense of purpose, accomplishment, and peace. So if you know you have other skills that you could put in place to generate significant income, It's not unwise at all to continue doing that. And then in your discretionary time, you may dedicate four or five hours a week to helping people get out of debt. And we've seen that a lot over the years. I mean, when you want to help people who are in trouble financially, it's really challenging to turn that into a reasonable income generator. They're already struggling. How can you charge them reasonable fees so that you become successful financially yourself? It may not work. You may have to do other things along with doing that as a continued volunteer position. Nothing wrong with that at all. Raven from Los Angeles says, Dan, am I being too idealistic or too practical? I went back to school two years ago and just finished an associate's in art degree. I'm good, but it takes time to become great. In the meantime, I need to move out and support myself. My previous industry was insurance related. Out of the blue, I received an invitation from an old contact to interview for a job in insurance again. I nailed the interview. Of course, I may or may not get the job, but what if I do? 
I've been volunteering at museums and galleries, but this is a paid gig. I want to keep taking night classes in art. If I get this job, I won't have time to continue volunteering or take those classes. Should I turn it down and hold out for what I want or forget the classes and start making money again? Well, Raven, as you know, I look for and solutions, not either or. And in your case, I don't think this is a matter of giving up what you're being idealistic about, giving up your dream of being involved in art and making money there. But I suspect from hearing your question, the way you've, you've asked your question, that you do need to do both. It may be a while before you generate significant income from your art. And I'm not one to say that you ought to be a starving artist. You ought to be living under a a park bench somewhere in a cardboard box because you are committed to being an artist. No, if you haven't found a way to turn that into significant income, then do something that your other skills position you for so you do continue to create income. I remember one time years ago, I worked with a young lady who was very gifted as a singer. Now she, she was in, in Christian music. So she would go out to a little local church on a Sunday evening and sing, just hoping and praying they would give her enough of a love offering so she could buy lunch on Monday. And I told her, Debbie, why are you doing that? Well, this is what God has called me to do. You know, I have this talent. I want to sing. And I said, that's fine, but this is ridiculous. You know, you live in hand to mouth and begging from people and desperate that people aren't going to give you enough of a love offering. I said, get a job, get a job. She did. She got a really respectable administrative assistant job, got her own apartment, bought her own car. Guess what? Then she could go out and sing on Sunday nights with the freedom of really doing it just out of a heart of service. Her opportunities increased. Her love offerings increased dramatically because that being desperate is transparent. If you're an artist and you're desperate and you can't buy dinner tonight, that desperation comes through. It makes a very shaky, tenuous financial transaction. If you're in a position of strength, you're in a much stronger position to get reasonable fees for what you do as an artist. So look for the and solutions, do both. And then as your art income increases, you can diminish what you're doing on the other side. Rob from Colorado, Dan, I purchased your 48 days to the work you love years ago, the three ring binder version. I worked partway through it, but I was already running my own house painting business And I knew marketing and selling were my weak suits. I closed that business in 2002 to move to Kansas to help my wife's parents as their health was failing. We moved back to Colorado in 2011. I've been struggling to start my painting business again. I know my passion is photography. And just yesterday joined a forum and have received good reviews on the photos I posted. I'm thinking of trying to do theme calendars and other photo works to generate income possibly on Zazzle to start. Any ideas would be welcome. Well, Rob, I think having photography as your income source is one of the toughest things I can imagine. Now, you you may question where I'm going with this. Do I know successful photographers? Absolutely. I had a mastermind group out here at the sanctuary this morning. Two of the young guys in there are extremely successful photographers. We're talking, you know, six-figure and upwards photographers. I know that for a fact. 
But I still, I think photography is one of the toughest things today that I can imagine. As you know better than I, today everyone's a photographer. I mean, with digital cameras and Photoshop, you can do some amazing photography. So you show up at a wedding, there's 30 photographers there. Everybody's taking shots and they can choose what they want. To make that work as your income, you have to be 90% a great salesman and 10% a great photographer. Now, you said already marketing and selling is your weak suit. You can be extremely good. You can be extraordinary as a photographer and still starve because you have to have great selling and marketing skills if you're ever going to make that work. It's a whole lot easier to market painting houses, incidentally. Here's what I would suggest. I would suggest that you establish your monthly income needs. Let's just use $4,000 a month as an example. Make sure you're making that much every month with your house painting. So ramp that up. That's easier to ramp up. Absolutely no questions asked. That's easier to do. Get that going. But then continue working with your photography, doing theme calendars or T-shirts or mugs, cards, whatever, those kind of things that will give you residual income potentially, but will build up over a period of time. As soon as you've got three months in a row where you're generating $2,000 from your photography, then you've got my blessing to quit your house painting and ramp up your new business. But I'd give yourself that kind of a formula. Don't just be frustrated, live on nothing, be starving to death and trying to ramp up your photography. It's, It's the same thing that I just talked about a minute ago with an artist. If you're starving, it puts you in a really weak position. Do something to generate your basic needs. Do this on the side, but then when it does generate at least half of your current income, your base income required, three months in a row, then you have enough evidence to say you can quit your regular job, move full-time into that or ramp it up and go for it. Ryan from North Carolina says, Dan, big fan of your blog and podcast. I hope you can give me a fresh perspective. I spent nine years in the Marines maintaining the electrical systems on fighter aircraft. After I separated in 2006, I began a career spiral. I found myself in jobs that used less and less of the problem-solving abilities I had honed in the military and none of my creativity I've just begun my newest job as a machine operator in a food production facility, working six nights a week, 45 minutes away for 13 bucks an hour. I need a reboot. I need to figure out a way to enjoy more time with my family, earning enough to help others, doing something that makes me feel alive. Unfortunately, I don't know what that is. Please help. Ryan, well, thanks for your question, Ryan. Thanks for your past history. Here's what you've got to look at. What are other applications of your skills? Now, if you've got electrical skills, I mean, that has a whole lot of possibilities. I mean, this morning I had a guy out here. I just jumped on Craigslist, boom, electrician, had some guy come out here. I bought new lights for the front of our house, six new light fixtures. I wanted those installed rather than screwing with it myself. I said, I'm just going to have an electrician come out here and do it. He was here for um, right at two hours a little less than two hours he was here so he installed all of my materials all he did was just the labor we agreed on 250 dollars there were six lights he said typically it's 50 dollars a light to install them i said how about 250 for the whole thing which would be 
one less. That would be instead of $300, $250. He said, fine. I said, deal. We shook on it. Boom. He was here a little less than two hours, did that. And I paid him out of my pocket and he went on his way. 250 bucks for two hours. That's 125 bucks an hour. Now, he wasn't a rock star electrician. What he did was very basic. Just putting in the screws and attaching two wires in the ground. I mean, nothing complicated at all. So don't overlook the creative applications that you might come up with. Again, he just, he runs a little spot on Craigslist and people like me call him up and boom, there's his normal kind of fee. I'm happy. He's happy. But with what he did there in two hours, I mean, he's going to make more money than you're going to make in two days. I mean, that's, ooh, ouch. So be creative in what you're looking at as opportunities doing electrical work. But now you could also do other things. You could be a facility manager where you handle the electrical needs and oversee all the other things that need to be done. I mean, you could look at aircraft work again. I'm not sure all the other things that you have done, but the aircraft industry certainly never seems to slow down. However, if you aren't sure that it's electrical work that you want to do, then take a fresh look at those three things that I lay out so clearly in 48 days to the work you love. What are your unique skills and abilities? What are your personality tendencies? What are your values, dreams, and passions? Now, the value of a little life experience is that it's a great help in clarifying what we don't want to do, and thus it helps us zero in more on what we do want to do. So reflect back on those nine years in the military and the time you've had after that. Identify what is it that you really enjoyed doing most? What is it that you felt like you were just a robot going through the motions doing? Start to zero in on those things. Don't just flush everything down the toilet. Chances are your best opportunity shows itself in some of the things you've already done. But then be creative in the application. Don't think you have to just settle for a $13 an hour job. Trust me, you do not. Well, just a reminder, this is Dan Miller in the 48 Days Online Radio Show, where we look at your questions each week and... I'd love to hear from you. If you got a question, just go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast link. You can shoot your question in there. Be glad to consider that for an upcoming podcast. Well, Malcolm from North Carolina says, Dan, thanks for your advice. I've recently started providing American Heart Association CPR and first aid classes. There are already several providers in the area. What's the best way to market my services? Door-to-door, cold calling, flyers. What book would you recommend for marketing ideas? How do I differentiate myself from the competition? I don't want to compete on price alone. Thanks and have a blessed day. Well, I would not recommend door-to-door for what you're describing. What you want is what we call economy of scale. So you want to make one call where you could potentially have 20 people in the class you're going to do not just going door to door. I mean, you can knock on a hundred doors and have two people that are even good prospects for what you want to do. It's going to be hard to make that work. Here's an example. I had a young guy who started doing a dry cleaning pickup and delivery service. Now I know him. And so he would go knock on doors in a neighborhood and he'd get a few customers here and there. And I said, man, what you need to do is you need to exercise this principle, economy of scale. You need to go like to a medical facility where with one 
connection, you have access to everybody who works in the medical facility. And the other thing is the fees that you get for a lab coat are significantly more than you get for a shirt. But in essence, a lab coat is nothing more but a big shirt. So you charge five bucks to clean the lab coat and a dollar 75 to do a shirt and do the lab coat. Look, look for those. And if you go to medical facilities, and that's exactly what he did. And he became extremely successful in that business because he went to the right places. You need to do the same thing for your CPR training. Don't go door to door, go to companies where you could do company wide training where you may have 20 to 30 people from that company. That they're going to put in the same class. I knew a lady here locally who still does this, but she does safety training, how to keep yourself safe, how to protect yourself when you're walking from the mall out to your parking lot to your car. Well, she has a lot of housewives in there, but instead of just knocking on doors to find those one by one, which she could do, no, she goes to companies and they send all the ladies in the company and the guys as well, but she does in company workshops where she's paid extremely well, where it may be only $10 a person to go through, but if you have 30 people, it's 300 bucks. So that's what I would look for with what you're doing. Bill from Tupelo. I can never see Tupelo without thinking about Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley, you ain't nothing but a hound. Well, I won't go there. Bill says I'm a PNC captive agent. And after eight years, the office hours are getting old. I'm thankful for my agency, but would love to have the flexibility to work from home. I have a chance to join a very reputable company selling health life insurance totally online from home. Great track record with a lot of mentoring and coaching as you work as a team. Great chance for management, building my own team. Lots of upside potential. Very big decision as I build a very nice income with my PNC business and also have my health insurance provided for me and my two kids. But at 46 years old, is this the time to make the switch? Just praying about what to do. Selling insurance from an office is a diminishing model. There's no question about that, Bill. When I think about what insurance used to be, I mean, it used to be you saw your insurance agent at the hardware store and down at the ice cream shop and at the restaurant where you ate lunch and at church on Sunday. That's not true anymore. People jump online. I mean, my goodness. I mean, I'll have to admit that's where I shop for insurance. It's online. I don't want to take the time to have to drive across town to meet with somebody personally. Never. I don't care what it is, what kind of insurance it is. So if you want to move into the health and life insurance, yeah, that's the best way to promote it. That opens your audience dramatically. So instead of having a little tiny, you know, two mile radius, because you have an office somewhere, now you have theoretically anybody in the world. So you just have to be sharp about how you're marketing yourself to stand out, connect with people, take care of their needs. I mean, that's certainly the way to go. So I think you're wise to be looking at the switch here 46 years old, geez, you're just in your prime. I mean, make a good decision. We have to recognize we go through seasons in our lives and some, certainly some industries have seasons and insurance is one of those that has changed dramatically over the last four or five years. So you're heading in the right direction to stay on top. Don't be a captive agent in an office in a dying part of town in a dying industry. I mean, don't let yourself get caught flat-footed because you haven't stayed abreast of the changes. So I think this sounds like something that makes a lot of sense 
to check out. That would be my advice. Chad in Kansas City. Dan, I'm in the middle stages of launching a graphic t-shirt brand online. My question is about registering a trademark for my name and logo. Is this an expense I should deal with up front or wait to see if this venture takes off? My gut tells me for starters, I could probably get away with a poor man's copyright by mailing the logo to myself and not opening the envelope when it arrives back to me. If things start to take off like I want, the income I make off the business could then pay for the fees involved in properly registering a trademark for my business. I have already registered the .com and .net URLs. Well, you've got a lot of pieces that you can open up here, and you're, you're right on track. And yeah, for those of you who aren't familiar with a poor man's copyright, I mean, what Chad is saying is exactly right. You can mail yourself a document that you wrote and seal it to yourself, send it to yourself. Just keep it like that. If somebody comes up three years later and they have the quotation that you thought of back then, you can document you were the first. Now, that, that's a really weak kind of protection in today's world, but uh, theoretically, it still has a little bit of merit, perhaps. It, it's really not worth doing in this situation. But also, to your question, the most important thing you can do to protect your name, and I assume that's in your trademark logo, is to have the .com and .net URLs. If you want to go beyond that, get the .biz, it would still be getting domains. That's the best protection for that. Getting a trademark, you don't have to do anything right now. I Just go ahead and start, get a little success under your belt. Make sure that you, know, you, you watch those domains, and that's the most important thing. I got a trademark for 48 days to the work you love. I just checked I got that trademark in 2008. It's up for a five-year renewal right now, this next month in July. But I had been using that name and logo for about six years at that point. Could someone else have trademarked that name? Yeah, theoretically, they could have. Would it have been a big deal? Nah, not really. I have the domain. I have all the domains around that. That's the most important thing. I have all the momentum from years of using that. So I'm out in the forefront. You Google 48 days to the work you love. I own that it's 365 days a year. It, it, I don't know what somebody could do to ever catch up to me and have any kind of notoriety for that. Now, are there people who have done other things that are very similar? Find the work you love, you know, doing the work you love. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of things. That's cool. Not a big deal. And I only did a trademark then just on the advice of my intellectual property attorney who said, yeah, with the success of 48 days, you really ought to do that. So we did that. There are so many variations on a trademark. You can go online. You can go to USPTO.gov. That's United States Patent and Trademark Office, USPTO.gov. And you can research to see if there's anything similar. You can trademark yourself. It costs about 275 bucks for a national trademark. I don't advise doing that. If you really think it's important enough to trademark it, get an attorney to do it. It's going to cost you about a grand to get that done, but it's going to really cover the different variations of a trademark that are important. So don't try to just backdoor it yourself. Get, a, get an attorney to do it if you're going to do that. But there's no point at all in doing it until you do have some reasonable success under your belt. Gretchen from... PPQ, Pepe Kayo, Pepe Kayo, Hawaii. All right, she's got a 
phonetic abbreviation for me of Kai O Hawaii. Gretchen says, Dan, I started a blogging podcast about social entrepreneurship and will be showcasing businesses around the world whose business model includes creating positive social change for the poor. When I podcast, I'll be interviewing them, so that's not a problem. But when I blog about businesses where I don't actually interview them, but rather get my information off the internet or through magazines, do I need to email and ask their permission to write about them? So if you're writing a book or a a blog or talking in a podcast about a successful business, do you need to contact them to get their permission? No, absolutely not. I mean, in Wisdom Meets Passion, my latest book that I wrote with my son, Jared, I write about Tom's shoes. I write about TerraCycle. I write about charity water. So did I contact Blake McCuskey from Tom's Shoes or Tom Zaki with TerraCycle or Scott Harrison with charity water? I wrote about water.org. Matt Damon, the actor. No, I, I never, I didn't do anything to contact any of them. I just wrote about their businesses with information that's readily available. Yeah, you can do the same. You don't have to go through the hassle. You know, it's like quoting somebody. Can you quote somebody? I, I get emails every day about this. Dan, can I use something you said on page 178 in No More Dreaded Mondays as a quotation in the book that I'm writing? Yes, you can. Please just do it. Don't ask me. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't want to seem ungrateful. I, I love when people do that, and, and that's exactly will be the response of these companies. If you're now, if you're saying you know they're they're stupid and doing bad things, I mean you better watch your back if you can are gonna say things that set you up for libel. I mean that's one thing. But if you're just saying things that are readily available, now nah, you don't need to ask permission. Just go on and do it. It take too much time to pull those things out now here's an interesting one this comes from hank in flint michigan and hank's got a unusual challenge facing him here hank says my girlfriend and i disagree on business qualifications she believes you need a degree to pursue just about anything and i know that you don't i've sat her down at the computer and showed her how i made money on the internet she also watched me release an ebook recently and get hundreds of sales immediately but she believes I'm the exception and not the rule. How can I get her to take action instead of waiting for credentials? She's over $50,000 in debt and has been in and out of school for the last 20 years. <sighs> well, Hank, you have an opportunity for a solution there, as we would say in the Miller household. You know, sometimes it's the ones that are closest to us that are hardest to get on board with what we're doing. This morning, I had the delightful opportunity to have a young mastermind group out here at the sanctuary. 12 guys who formed a mastermind after reading my document on creating your own mastermind group. They were amazing, all in their 30s. And these guys are world changers. Now, I won't get into, go into all the details. Sometimes I'll share more about what some of them are doing. It's mind boggling. And the synergy they're getting from working together is just something that you can't duplicate on your own. I firmly believe that You've got to link arms with people who are on the same path as you are. Now, that being said, several of the guys had questions about family members where they, in essence, said, you know, success has put me on somewhat of a lonely path because I've got brothers who are union members and they believe that if I'm making the kind of money I'm, I'm scamming people. I mean, how sad to have that coming from family members. And what I 
suggested is you have to clarify what it is you can control and what it is you cannot control. Sometimes you're wasting your breath trying to change somebody's opinion. You need to make sure you're spending time who with people who are going the same direction that you are. Now, this is a little dicey when this is your girlfriend. I don't know what stage your relationship is in, but you're, you've got some bigger challenges here. If you're doing entrepreneurial, creative, non-traditional kind of things, making money, and she believes that you're scamming or it's just a fluke, it's just a bit of luck that isn't going to last, you need somebody by your side who has more belief in what you're doing if this is the path that you've chosen. There are some people who still are going to believe that you need a degree and you need to get a job with benefits. End of story. Well, I'd have a hard time having somebody under my roof on a daily basis who believed that because we'd have a whole lot of disagreements about where we're going. Fortunately, I've got a wife who totally, totally believes in what I'm doing, has been totally supportive at every step of the way. Well, I, now I, I would be careful on that. Have there been times when she thought along the way, geez, Dan, why don't you just go to get a real job, dummy? Yeah, you better believe it. But ultimately, success wins out and diminishes those kind of concerns. So I'd watch for that. Do you have enough success that it changes her opinion? If you do, then cool. If she maintains her position, you're going to have a hard time uh, feeling the emotional support you need to stay on the path that you obviously are on. You know, this is one of those where, you know, we've got all kinds of cliches. The proof is in the pudding. I mean, that just simply means if you're making it happen, then it's real. Or somebody may, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, if you're seeing it, that makes a pretty strong case for it being real. So, not sure what the ultimate solution is for you there, but you've got a, a, a challenge that you need to resolve. Dave from Holbrook, Arizona says, my side business, which I love, is passively generating almost half the take-home pay of my government job. I'm burned out with my job, feel I'm wasting my time here, but the benefits are golden handcuffs. My wife graduates nursing school in May of 2013. Wait a minute, May of 2013, that's already passed. I wonder if you meant May of 2014. She's already working part-time. I know that if I worked full-time in my business, I could double or triple that income quickly. If I quit my job now between my wife's part-time job and my business, we could make ends meet, but it'll be tight until she finishes school or I increase my revenue. Our main roadblock is health insurance. We're all in relatively good health, but with three adolescent kids, stable health care is important. I don't think we could afford private health insurance right now with this being our main obstacle. Do you have any advice? Yeah, absolutely. If you're in good health, getting health insurance is not an obstacle. Now I'm going to put a link in the podcast notes. It comes right from it's on 48 days.com. If you go to useful resources, drop down to worksheets, there's a section there for insurance for the self-employed where I have a whole lot of resources. There's so many different kind of groups that are hungry to have you guys on board. And if you're young and have healthy kids, it's not a big deal. What I suggest, I mean, I'm a big believer in an HSA, health savings account. That's one of those cool things that our government provides for us, us entrepreneurs out here. I mean, it is amazing. We put money into that that comes right off the top of your income. So you don't even pay income tax on it. You've got a little fun there if you need 
any kind of medical expenses, it comes right out of there. Now, what you do with that is have a pretty high deductible. I mean, we have an HSA. I have a $7,000 deductible, which means that we never use it. We never use the insurance, but it's there if there would be a heart attack or car accident or something like that. It's there, but it's very reasonable price to do that. And, it, and the tax benefits are just phenomenal. That's what I would suggest. But don't let health insurance be the, the deciding factor as to whether or not you move into your sideline business or stay in a regular job. That should never be an issue. I mean, if you had an opportunity to triple your income, do you have the opportunity? Can you take care of the health insurance benefits that you were getting? My gosh, I would think so. I mean, it usually, well, anyway, you just do the math on that. But if it's going to cost you three, 400 bucks, if you're confident you're on the right path in your sideline business, man, go ahead and do that. Just cover the insurance, rock and roll. Jeff from London says, Dan, my question is, I've been searching for a job for a while and nothing seems forthcoming, even with my wealth of sales experience working in telesales and business to business. As this isn't really my passion, I do enjoy working for myself in web designing, coding. I'm currently self-studying for this. Am I on the right track, Jeff? Now, Jeff, you present a really interesting situation. I'm going to put you on the spot here for a minute. Now, just think back on what you've said. You're in sales. You have a wealth of sales experience, but you can't get a job. That's an interesting quandary because getting a job is nothing but being able to sell a product, that product being yourself. I suspect the key is in your statement. This isn't really my passion. Keep in mind that professional selling is simply sharing enthusiasm. So if you're working for yourself, doing web design and coding, you're going to have to be so enthused about that that you can't stop yourself from sharing it about everyone that you meet. Your ability to sell is going to be more important than ever before. The issue then is having something you're so excited about that you naturally sell it. So whether that's web design or selling speedboats for a company is a secondary consideration. The real key is having something you're so excited about that you're going to share that enthusiasm that translates into reasonable income. That's what that sharing enthusiasm does. So you have to be good at selling. But again, I'm going to, you know, kind of uh, stick it to you here in a way, because if you're really good in selling, you ought to be able to get a job this afternoon especially if you are promoting your sales skills because every company needs you on board. Why can't you convince a company that your efforts there are going to increase their revenue significantly enough that they would be excited to have you join them? So you've got kind of a circular question. You've kind of boxed yourself in here, but the real key again is finding something that you believe in so much. You're going to share your enthusiasm. Mikhail from Tulsa says, what do you think about cold calling? Can I hire somebody to do it? How do I go about hiring somebody? Do I pay them hourly or commission base? Can I have them sign a contract? Well, Mikhail, you've got way too many unknowns in your question for me to give definitive answers. What do I think about cold calling? Golly, you can still rock and roll with cold calling. If it's the right product, right service. Last night, we had Rory and AJ Vaden here at our house for dinner had a delightful time together now rory wrote the book 
take the stairs. Roy came out of Southwestern. AJ did as well. They were both Southwestern salespeople. Now, if you have ever encountered Southwestern salespeople, these are the, the college kids that spend the summer going in remote parts of the country, door to door, selling books, selling Bibles, educational materials, and all that. If somebody can survive that, now about 35% of the kids who start don't last two weeks. It's just too tough. The ones that last, some of the stories out of there are unbelievable. Now, Rory, I know, was one of those who, like his second summer, made 50000 bucks. I think the next summer he made 70000 He did it like seven years in a row, even after he graduated from college. Now he heads a large, large division at Southwestern, continues in the selling professional profession, which I love to see. But they go door to door, knocking on doors, cold calling. Yes, it can work. If it's the right service or business, if you can find somebody who really believes in your product or service, sure, you can get them to cold call. How you pay them has a hundred, I mean, a thousand possibilities. I love straight commission. I really do. Many great salespeople have strictly that they sell, they make money. They don't sell nothing. If you have something that has a really long sales cycle, however, like if you have somebody selling printing machines where they have to make multiple sales calls, they do financial projections, the company takes on average maybe six months to make that major purchase. With that, you're not going to be able to have people on nothing but commissions. You're going to have to give them a base plus commissions. So it depends on what the sales cycle is. If you have something where somebody knocks on a door and we know that 67% of the doors they knock on, there's going to be a purchase that day. They write a check. Sure. You can have them on straight commission. So it has a lot to do with what the sales cycle is and what you're doing. Grab one more. West from Franklin says, after a difficult time in my life, I decided to get my coaching business back up and running. I've been hitting it hard again for the last couple months, making great progress. The good news is I'm getting several requests for my hormone and health coaching. The bad news is the vast majority of potential clients want me to coach them for free and offer free medical advice. I answer questions in my newsletter and podcast, but cannot give specific answers without proper testing and asking many questions of that individual client. I'd like some advice on selling them the coaching products since they're interested in feeling better. How do you handle requests for free coaching? Thanks, West. Well, West, as a pharmacist, you're going to continue to have people expect a whole lot of free coaching. It really comes with that position. I mean, my parents to their dying day relied on their pharmacist more than their medical doctor for medical advice and free help. I know that. So your income is going to largely have to come from selling products. However, if you have clear individual or group coaching options available, be quick to point those out and then just simply limit how far and deep you'll go with just an over-the-counter conversation. Quickly lead somebody into, you know, here's some packages where I could really help answer the questions that you're answering. Which of these packages would look like it's the best fit for you? That's what I would do, would lead them right back into that. Well, quick recap. If you're doing a job that you love and not making any money, you better look at, can you create an economic model with that? We want to combine passion, talent, and a reasonable way to make money. Can you reboot your career after a long time in the military? Yeah, absolutely. Take a fresh look at your skills and abilities, your personality tendencies, your values, dreams, passions. See if what you've been doing lines up. If not, identify what the clear focus is. Move forward on that. 
Can you market things door to door? Absolutely. If it's the right product, you can still do that. There's great success stories where people are still doing that. Girl, my girlfriend thinks you need a college degree. Well, you've heard me talk about that a whole lot. Obviously, I don't think that's true. Is it helpful in certain situations? Absolutely. But there's a whole lot of ways to be successful in today's work environment. And you can decide what is the best path for you. What is that sweet fit for you? That's what we're looking for. This is not a cookie cutter approach to success. Believe me. It's a matter of getting in the game. You figure out more about yourself as you go along. Find your sweet spot. Rock and roll. Knock it out of the park. Hey, and remember to invest 3% of your income in personal development. You'll see your own success skyrocket. Thanks for being part of this gang. Check out the 48days.net group as we all are finding or creating ways to produce purposeful and profitable work.